your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to uh, Wednesday, Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914. I should turn that on, Brad. I'll turn on the text line here so we can get these texts. Uh, Brad Pass sitting in studio with me. Good afternoon, everyone. He's a state senator, U.S. House hopeful, Brad Paff. Right. Senate District 32, I had to, I had to right. ask you because I never remember the districts. Yeah, it should be well, easier with Senate because yeah. they're a little bit less of them. Lacrosse, Vernon, Crawford, and Monroe counties. Um, and you've been, well, it's about your two-year anniversary right. for that. How, how do you feel that's going? Well, I quite frankly think we could have done more. I was disappointed that the legislature adjourned so darn early. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, there's more work to be done. we got to uh, fix this economy. we got to drive down these costs. The state legislature, we, a lot of work that we could have done in order to make sure we continue to invest in manufacturing and we could have continued to help our uh, small businesses and our, our workers. But instead, the legislature, the majority party, decided to uh, adjourn. And by doing that, uh, they didn't finish the uh, Badger Care expansion. And so 92,000 residents in this state don't have access to the health insurance they should have access to. We could have done a heck of a lot more when it comes to making sure that we had fair and balanced uh, uh, districts as far as legislative districts. Instead, we've got some of the most gerrymandered districts in the nation. Well, let's be real here because we, we the, the state legislature adjourned mid, 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 mid to March. early March, right? Yep. And I think that what, what what I call a cram session because I think you you passed or didn't pass about 120 bills or something like that. It seemed I, like it seemed like we they put it all at the end. So many that you can't keep track of, and then only like the really weird ones make the news. Even though some some actually pass that are like, oh, you know what this this thing passed right. and we should have passed it. But it does give you the ability to take the next 10 months off. Or I, I would say maybe eight nine months to campaign because you're running for house, which is kind of the the whole deal, right? Like our full time legislature adjourns in March to hit the campaign trail. That's I mean they they'll say they'll go back to their districts and they'll work, uh, but this this benefits you as well, right? Because you're well, you're running for house. Well, I will say this is that I stand ready to work. I'm always stand ready to work, and as a state senator, I mean I'm always on call. I mean we continue to do casework. Uh, we continue to service the uh, uh, the needs of the people of this district uh, to make sure that they get the uh, services from their state government. I'm always available uh, as far as uh, meeting with small businesses and, and meeting with uh, our health care industry and education and everybody in between. I'm always available there. The thing is this, is that I do believe that the state legislature is not fulfilling its obligation to the taxpayers of this state. And I have made it abundantly clear that, you know, we should not be called in this special session in order to do our work. We should be able to get the work done. And even with the special session that we get called in in order to protect reproductive rights or to make sure that we've got uh, badger care expansion, the legislature uh, gavels us in, and 14 seconds later, the gavel is out. Eleven times over Governor Evers' mm-hmm. Uh, four years now they've done that. They've gaveled in and out of session without even debating it. Yeah. And some, I would say, are, are understandable. I think uh, I just was at a Doyle-Hipsch debate uh, for the Assembly of 94th, and Ryan Hipsch, the Republican running against Doyle, mentioned that Evers doesn't talk to the state legislature very well. He doesn't. He's kind of huffy-puffy to them, so he ignores them, and therefore the battle. So when Evers calls for a special session, I think Hipsch was pointing to, like, yeah, but maybe the legislature is mad at Evers for not giving him a voice or vice versa. I think that we all need to grow up. 
And yeah. I think we need grown-ups in the room. And quite frankly, I mean, being mad at one another, I mean, please. I mean, there's 5.8 million people in this state that pay our bills and uh, that pay taxes and expect something better. And all I can say is that I am extremely responsive to the 180,000 people in this state Senate district. And I know that we've got a job to do. And I am happy to talk to Republicans and Democrats any day of the week uh, to make sure that this district gets its fair share. So um, I I think it's really disappointing that, uh, you know, we have these childish behaviors from grownups. All right. So you're running for U.S. House. There's also a lot like how you and you talk about. Um, inflation is a big talking point. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are just like, that's going to directly affect how voters want to see this next election is the, the price of stuff is more Mm -hmm. expensive now in the state legislature, in the U S house of representatives federally. um, Should we take, this is going to be a long answer. We better better take a break. I'll I'll tease it though. Well, well, I'm going to ask you what as a state Senator you could do to combat inflation and then if you are the U.S. House rep in the third district here in, you know, the mm-hmm. lacrosse area, the mm-hmm. Stevens Point area, mm-hmm. you know, the district district's pretty, pretty big. But uh, so we'll, we'll get Brad Pass answer on that when we come back. All right. Welcome back to lacrosse talk PM 608-785-7914 is talking text line. If you want to get in here, state Senator Brad Paff and U.S. House hopeful Brad Paff. He's running in the third congressional district of the U.S. House of Representatives against Derek Van Orden. And um, Brad, we, we did a little tease before the show. I just want you to all I want you to do if you want to do it as a state senator, if you want to do it as a U.S. what you would do as a U.S. House rep. I don't know if there's way different if you as a state senator it'd be this and it'd be way different as a U.S. House rep it'd be this. But just, you know, simple question. So, can you solve inflation right now? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, I I mean think- it's unfair, but I'm joking a little bit. But what would you do as a either a state senator or a U.S. House rep to, to well, do that? Well, I would do I would, I stick to the principles that I believe in, both in the state Senate as well as a, in the U.S. House. Number one, we do have to do tax reform. I think there's more work that we can do in the state of Wisconsin. We've got a surplus, so we need to do tax reform to make sure our middle-class families you know, are not being overtaxed and have opportunities to continue to invest in this economy. Second thing we need to do is we need to invest in manufacturing. We have to fix the supply chain. Costs have gone up. You don't have to go to the grocery store very often to know that costs have gone up for butter and for eggs and for milk and other things. The thing is, is how do we fix that? We invest in a supply chain. The supply chain needs a strong rural and domestic manufacturing sector. This nation has walked away from manufacturing in the last 45 years. We can no longer rely upon just a couple foreign nations halfway across the world to supply us with stuff. When you say invest in manufacturing... um so the CHIPS Act recently passed the U.S. House of Representatives and Congress, and the president signed it a few weeks ago, and that is making semiconductors. You know, uh, Taiwan makes the vast majority of the world's semiconductors, and we're all dependent upon that. I was glad to see Congress pass this. Um, but, you know, they're talking about building a facility either in Texas or Ohio in one of those two states. Well, we, we you know built what? a, fac- why facility, we a Mount- facility here. We built a facility in Mount Pleasant. So why are we there? <laughs> why are not like, we leading? Did, why, we, did, why did, we, we, did we do this with Foxconn and it didn't work? Like, well, I mean, it wasn't for semiconductors. It was supposed to be for some high, high, high screens. component yeah. Yeah, screens. And that never took place. But the. Well, your point is clear, and that is the fact that we as taxpayers have stepped forward and built an infrastructure there. Now we need to make sure that we have a manufacturing policy in this country you know, that invests in people right here. 
this needs to take place. And so I would have, if I had the opportunity to be in the U.S. House, I would have continued to advocate for investment here in Wisconsin. And I'll continue to do that. I believe we need to make more things in this country, and we need to make more things here in western Wisconsin. And we know how to do it, Rick. I mean, look, you want to talk about supply chains. Look at Quick Trip, a local company right here. It has one of the most vertically integrated supply chains from the uh, uh, the cows that are producing the milk uh, all the way to the fi- finished product that we pick up at the uh, Quick Trip convenience store as far as with butter and, and milk. Yeah, and I've got a couple of friends. Locally. i got a couple of friends that are literally like throwing, I don't know if they're literally throwing pepperonis right. on the pizza, but they, they, they mm-hmm. make it, right? They in, make it right the- there. And they've got, they've got two big bakeries there. They've got bakeries that make the uh, sweet rolls and the danishes. They've got a separate bakery that makes all that bread. I mean, it is just a state of the art. And again, it is right here in the lacrosse. It's an example of local manufacturing. So how do we lure somebody else to come in and do, you know, they, they don't have to be quick trip, but they got to be, you know, they got to do something. What's what's a need? And then how do we lure them here? Well, it, is, it isn't always luring somebody in. Of course, I would never walk away from somebody that wants to come to Wisconsin, but it's also making sure that we have a tax code that's in place. So those uh, residents here in the state of Wisconsin, if they want to take a small business and make it medium size or if they want to take the next step from medium size uh, and regional and take it national you know we need to make sure that we have those incentives in place and so there's a lot of different things to talk about obviously a tax code is extremely important but a training programs are very important and for those people that have followed me they know that I'm very very aggressive when it comes to making sure that our technical college our four-year university as well as our K through 12 that this becomes more seamless And so we have a situation where if someone wants to study diesel mechanics, they don't need to graduate from high school in order to go to Western, but instead these Western technical college programs are offered right there within the high school and that we can get people through through education at a quicker uh, pace so they can get out into that workforce. And we want to keep people in this area. It's also very important, but, you know, Rick, what has happened is this. For the last 45 years, this nation, both political parties have decided that the best economic policy is to divest and to think that we can import our way to prosperity. And by importing our way to prosperity, the thought was that we would all be better off. But what we've seen is a hollowing out, a hollowing out of uh, many of our small towns and, and many of our communities, and it's led to... You know, a real uh, separation as far as some have gotten wealthier and the rest of us have had to continue to work two or three jobs, it seems like. I hear from people doing their very best in order to make ends meet. How tough is it for businesses to compete with overseas businesses, which I I feel like, you know, if if you're making something in China, those people are getting paid nothing. Right. Like they're, they're, they're literally some people are like, I think they're living on the Foxconn campus over there uh, overseas, um, because when you come here to make stuff, obviously the, the, the salary is greater and therefore the burden is a little bit hot, harder on, on a business to run that, you know, rather than shipping it overseas and, and paying nothing to your employees. Yeah. And this, but the other thing is this is there needs to be obviously a corporate responsibility and a social responsibility as well. Um, you know, you, you these these companies you know bring back these products into this into this country and of course 
you know, they're sourcing all their materials somewhere else and their labor is coming from somewhere else, but yet they're selling a finished product here. And then, you know, they're rewarded on Wall Street for that. I mean, let's let's be realistic and recognize the fact there is a social responsibility and corporate responsibility. And that's why I tip my hat to these domestic uh, companies, companies like Quick Trip Local here and others that recognize their responsibilities that they have here locally as well as in this country. Um, you know, but we do need to make sure that, uh, you know, we have a monetary policy at the national level, and we also have a tax and a trade policy at the national level that recognizes the fact that uh, we in this country know how to make things. We're very productive. We're hardworking people, and we need a fair shake. Can you, can you see this headline on a computer? I see it. U.S. businesses, including Walmart, GM, and Intel, propose hiding trade import data used to trace abuse. So a group of major U.S. businesses want the government to hide key import data. A move trade experts say would make it more difficult for Americans to link the products they buy to labor abuse overseas. So yeah. uh, there's literally yeah. this is what yeah. this is That's what's just, going on. This is this. I feel like this would be a federal issue that yeah, is major. No, it's, you know, and the thing is, I just go back to this. I. I am not a protectionist. I recognize that we live in an international world, and I all, but I am also this. I am someone that firmly believes that we in Wisconsin and we in America can outcompete uh, anybody, any place in the world, if it's at a level fair, um, you know, tr- trading policy. Yeah, my dad always, my dad always makes the joke. Uh, you know, if a tool breaks, you know, it's like where was it made? Because mm-hmm. like he he's a, he was a big snap on or mm-hmm. craftsman guy mm-hmm. back in the oh, day when they were all yeah. made here. And uh, but if a tool broke, he's like, "Where did you get that tool?" You know, That's right. or, or if your your car broke down or something, he was all, he would always make a joke about where it was made, and you know, if it was American made, then it was going to last for longer and longer. That's right. And so that's I mean that's so we talk about what we're going to do with inflation. Obviously, there's immediate things that need to be done, but there's long term changes that need to be t- take place. But in the immediate. Obviously, we need to drive down these costs. I mean, they have to be. And so I have been very, very clear. I recognize gas prices have gone up. And I know that in this district in particular, we rely upon an energy policy that needs to be affordable. And I have said over and over again that we can just not not snap our fingers and think we're going to move just towards all renewables. We, there has to be a you know phase out as far as with fossil fuels, but it can't be immediate. None of us want to be dependent upon Putin and Saudi Arabia uh, for our energy. But at the same time, you know we have to do this in a very smart way, and it needs to be a way that is a phase out. It's, you and, just got to go the what about Bob route. You have to take right. baby steps. Baby that's steps. Right. That's right. And of course, you know I'm all I you know I'm very I guess biased on this, but I'm very pro. I'm very pro renewable fuels coming here from America's heartland. I mean, we we in agriculture and agriculture can continue to produce high quality biodiesel as well as ethanol, and I'm proud of the work that's been done. Uh, I'm going to take this call. Tom's been waiting. I think it's Tom. Tom, you're on the air with Brad Papp. Go ahead, real quick. Yes. Hello. Yeah. I go ahead. My, uh, yeah. Uh, Brad, I'm calling in uh, about your opponent. Uh, I'm a former career combat military veteran, also a former delegate during the Iowa caucuses in the early 90s. Brad, I just want... I don't disagree with your policies, but I just want to encourage the voters 
being a, I've been a pretty much a lifelong Republican. We don't need a uh, 26-year-old Navy SEAL with no proven academics or uh, accomplishments uh, in politics. I don't know why the people would be uh, uh, so, so eager to have somebody with uh, just that kind of experience. Uh, and also, I also want to comment that what has happened to the Democrat Party that they used to be a party for peace. Uh, I don't see that anymore. All right. Thanks for your call, Tom. Well, Tom, I want to first of all say thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Second of all, I can't speak for all Democrats. I can only speak for myself. And I can say this is that uh, I have uh, deep, deep roots in this district. My family's been farming in this area since they came to this country in the mid-1800s. I know the people of this district. I know the people are hardworking, they're dedicated, they're patriotic, and they're God-fearing Americans. And they know what happened on January 6th was wrong. Now, I will just say it was wrong. And I do not believe that someone who is running for political office, you know, who will not debate the voters, uh, will not come forward and do joint public appearances, and will not be clear with us why he was in Washington on that shameful, awful, deadly day in which five police officers lost their lives and more than 100 police officers were injured, why he won't explain what he was doing. Now, we are all entitled to our opinions. I understand that. But when this nation saw, you know, property, public property damage in the millions of dollars, and we saw a Confederate flag marched inside the Capitol, inside the Capitol building for the first time ever, I think that's shameful, and I think that's wrong. And I think that Mr. Van Orden should explain. And I've been very clear with that, and I'll tell you, I've had a number of veterans that have come forward and told me, Brad, continue to ask continue to find out what's going on. And I'm doing it for the simple reason that, you know, hey, we're patriotic people out here. We salute the flag. We're God-fearing Americans, and we want what's right. And uh, just I, I'm just asking the questions that people have asked me to ask. Can I ask you one more state mm-hmm. Senate question? You may. We have a $5 billion surplus. Mm-hmm. If you could just, like, magically... Uh, Tell the Senate to hold what is it? A, not a special session, but when mm-hmm. the Senate convenes, it's called an extraordinary, extraordinary session. I learned session. I learned this today. That's right. Uh, in the debate with Doyle and Hipsch, um, what would you do? What would what would be the best way to distribute that money, or well, some at least some of that money? It's like it's. It, I think four point two billion dollars is what the uh, the uh, estimate was yeah. from from through June. That's right. Well, I would do the following things. Number one, I would do a tax cut. I mean, that's that's number one. And I think it's got to be broad based and I think it's got to be focused on, you know, lowering the income taxes. I think that's very, very important. So that's number one I would do. And that that's consistent with what I've done in the past. I voted for a two billion with a B, two billion dollar personal income tax, you know, in the last, most recent budget. And I believe that we need to to do more. The second thing is I talk an awful lot, making sure that we fix this supply chain. And I talk about creating a seamless K through 12 technical and a four year. How can we make sure people can get their job training and get out into the workforce on a more timely basis? And so I do believe we have to have those conversations. Well, can we invest in like WTC or invest in high schools to like more of the seamlessness of it, Mm -hmm. more of the seamless rather than just, again, having these separate 
institutions and all of that. The thing is, what more, if we look at the uh, individual student, what can we do to make sure that that student can receive that diesel mechanic degree or receive that accounting degree or whatever degree that they're looking for in a uh, a seamless manner and a timely manner in a manner in which we can uh, ensure that they're ready to get into the workforce. That's so very important. So I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to work with our educators, bring all the input I can in with them, uh, continue we, to work with our employers. Can we take that $5 billion budget and just like distribute it to the schools that need updates? I mean, well, is it just that simple? Well, like, we, maybe. We have- we have that situation right now where these schools are put in pl- They've got these levy limits uh, that are put in place. And as a result of that, this fall in November, there's going to be a number of referendums that uh, local schools are going to be going forward with. So the other thing I would say real quick is that I would put money into uh, – public safety. I need, we need to make sure we continue to keep our community safe. We need to make sure that our police officers have the tools and the training they need to succeed. We need to make sure we continue to build good community relationships between the local neighborhood and our, our police. That is so very, very important. So, I mean, if we look at what we can do as far as tax relief, uh, if we look at making sure that, you know, our education system is in place to grow this economy and get our workers, you know, into the workforce in a timely manner and to keep our community safe and secure, I think as a state legislator, I think that's an important thing that we need to do. Obviously, there's a number of other things that we need to uh, discuss, but uh, if we keep our community safe, we provide tax relief and, uh, you know, we provide our students with a high quality education that grows our economy, uh, we're doing our job. But I got to kick you off because I have the Cross Police Chief Sean Kudron right. coming on next. That's State Senator Brad Path. You, He's Rick. running for the U.S. House of Representatives in the Third Congressional District here, uh, going against Derek Van Orden. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to get in here. Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Kudron's joining me. And um, Sean, before thanks for joining me, by the way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so before I get to this, because Brad Paff, State Senator Brad Paff was just on. He's a, he's a, obviously a candidate running for the U.S. House of Representatives. And right before he left, he did this pitch, you know, we need to support law enforcement. And and I talked to you about this beforehand. Um, like, all the candidates are doing this. But we never – but but what does that mean to law enforcement? As a, as a police chief in the city of La Crosse, what can a state legislator or maybe even – a federal legislator, you know, a congressperson, what can they do? Is there specifics, you know, hey, you know what, if you want to support law enforcement, we would like to see this happen? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, you know, there's a lot that has happened over the last few years that, you know, has been difficult for law enforcement, um, just in terms of of just some of the negativeness that has been created around uh, policing. Um, So, you know, moving forward in terms of support, uh, there's a lot of you know, funding initiatives that, that can assist with policing. There's a lot of grants that, that come through, you know, legislative active, uh, actions that, that can assist policing um, at many different levels. And so all of that is, is to, to support programming, uh, support, you know, infrastructure and equipment, um, as well as supporting personnel to go out and, and serve these communities and, and, and keep communities safe like lacrosse. We've heard we've heard from I think you know I've had Doug Happel on the Police and Fire Commission chair I believe he's the chair uh, if it's That's called correct. the chair the president whatever um, 
and and he's talked about you know we used to get 50 people applying for for an open position in the police department or, or the sheriff's department right and now it's like maybe five or six is is the the solution simple as simple as you know what we could just increase the salary and people would would come flock flock to the to those positions is is that a solution you know i salary increasing salary is a good thing i mean i i, I do think that to do this job increasing the salary can be a good thing but you know there's more to that when it comes to serving you know a community i mean there's um, you know, police officers don't do their jobs to become wealthy, so to speak. They do their jobs because they have a passion for service and, and a passion for wanting to serve a community, keep a community safe, and, and work with people that, you know, may have fallen victim to crime. So it really is being able to have, you know, a, a culture around policing in our communities across our state, across the Midwest, where we feel supported and, and that we have, you know, community support, uh, political support and and you know stakeholder support so that we can go and do our jobs uh, to the best of our ability and again it's about keeping our community safe. All right, tomorrow at the Lacrosse Center, the League of Wisconsin Municipalities is having its uh, yearly conference, and you're you're going to be put a little bit on display here, at least uh, for the for the state to see what Lacrosse is doing. And in specific, specifically with the community resource unit, and I had the mayor on last Monday, kind of talking about this a little bit. But I wanted to bring you on to kind of explain. And we've brought, we have brought you on before to talk about this. But now, when it's on display for the state, uh, it, it, it's more interesting. Um, I don't know how many other municipalities are doing this, how, ma- how many other city police are doing this, but the community resource unit is is going to be the highlight here tomorrow for the Lacrosse Police Department. Can you explain what the community resource unit is first? Yeah, it's it's a unique partnership between the police department and Lacrosse County Crisis to um, really work with and and respond to uh, people within our community that are struggling with mental health crisis. And the reason that that this has been unique is that we've looked at the struggles and and the complicated you know issues that that come from people who are dealing with mental health issues or dealing with mental health crisis. And we realize that, that we can serve better and, and we can do a better job for our community if we are partnering and co-responding with uh, Lacrosse County crisis professionals. And so we started this somewhat as a pilot program and, and found very early on that, that there was a great need for this and, and we're showing success. And we continue to work with service organizations work with people, work with consumers who are experiencing mental health uh, crisis and try to connect them with the proper services to reduce those crisis calls for service. Um, and at this point, you guys have, the La Crosse Police Department has, okay, I think that I have the makeup. You have an officer and then a county mental health professional work together. Is that how that works? Yeah, that's correct. So we have an officer and, and a county mental health professional that, We'll actually ride along in the same car and respond to calls for service at times. Um, they'll also follow up with individuals, um, you know, together. They'll follow up together uh, to check with individuals and, again, you know, work with, you know, mental health resources within our community so that we're kind of essentially connecting the dots when people are not in crisis so that they know what resources are there for them and how they can reach out, you know, before they get to a point where, you know, they're they're in a bad place and, and there, there might need to be an emergency response. All right. So I believe you have well, two officers within the police department, and then the county is supplied two of those 
mental health professionals. That's a terrible name. We need a cooler name for those guys. Um, and, and so you have two essentially CRU, CRUs, CR units, community resource units. You have two of them. Um, is yep. that enough? You, you told me or somebody told me there was about 1,465 calls because this is like the year anniversary of this thing, uh, which is about 122 calls a month. And I don't know if that's a lot or a little. And then also, are they just working like a nine to five? And therefore, we could, if we had more units, then therefore we could maybe expand the shift. And, and I, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and basically what we have, we have two police professionals right now, an investigator and an officer um, who are dedicated to this work full time. And then La Crosse County Crisis also has uh, members of their crisis team that are dedicated to the co-response and working with our officers. And what we have found is that um, the the building of the unit with more personnel can do exactly what you just said. It can not only, um, you know, help us in terms of potentially helping more people, but also expand our access so that there are more hours of the day that we have these professionals working together. And we believe that they can provide the best response uh, for people who, who need that response. And, and if we can expand those hours, we're, we're serving our community better, and our outreach is becoming, you know, it, it's growing. Um, 1,400 calls. Can you give us an example of, of, a, of what a call would be, what, what, what they would respond to? And, you know, I know you said they follow up, but what about an initial call that, you know, it's like what it's 10 at night and, and you get a call for the, the community resource unit. Yeah. So sometimes people are in crisis. They're, 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 they've fallen on hard times. There might be substance abuse, um, might be some alcoholism, um, they might they might just not know what to do at that point in time. They might be threatening self harm, and, and at that point in time, the police may be called uh, for one reason or another to interact with that individual. Um, with having our co responder, um, we are getting kind of the, the the best services quicker on scene right away to assess what the issues are, to identify the triggers in that person's life, and then to come up with the correct safety plan around that. And then again, like you had mentioned, not only just doing that at that one time, but then following up uh, days later to make sure that the right resources are connected with that individual. Now, is it a, it, does this depend a lot on dispatch being like, I recognize this thing and we need the CRU to get over there? Yeah, so that's another component of this that we've worked, we've worked with our dispatch center um, as well so that they have an understanding of what our CRU unit and what those officers uh, what their abilities are when they're available, and so that they, you know, know that they can also access these individuals to respond to certain calls. Because I'm thinking, like, maybe sometimes a, just an officer responds to something and be like, you know what, Bill and Sarah on the CRU team would be better able to handle this, so I'm just going to have them come over here. Yeah, as a matter of fact, today I, I was uh, out and about in the community, and one of our officers called over the radio um, looking for um, CRU, and uh, CRU officer responded, and they got in connection with each other to discuss a call, and, and uh, that's a lot of times that, that's how it works. So. How, did, how did this all come to be? Like, I mean, somebody had to, to think this up. I mean, we've, we've talked about this in the past, not me and you, but in general this has been talked about um, in different aspects. But, but who, is the, who is the mastermind behind all this, Chief? Well, several years ago, um, we had been dealing with certain situations. Um, I had been reviewing reports in my previous position, and we had been responding to a similar type of call that was 
that was very high priority and dangerous, and, and it had a mental health nexus. And as I reviewed those reports, I knew that there was something better that we could do. Um, discussed this with our staff, and uh, it took a few years, but we finally got to a place where we were able to dedicate um, in some of our police employees to do this work, along with continually building this relationship with Lacrosse Crisis. And, and we formed up this co-responder. There's been just a lot of communication back and forth, and it has been successful. All right. So the chief just patting himself on the back. That's what I just heard right there. <laughs> um, and well, then, yeah. And I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just we, pulling We chain. deal with mental health crisis on a regular basis, and, and we knew that if we could really provide, you know, extra resources in this area, we could do a better job. Well, this is where your experience comes in because you weren't all you weren't always a police chief before that, I believe. Uh, what were you, an investigator or something? Yeah, I was working in our investigative bureau at the time. Yep. Um, all right. So we got how it got started. Um, how big of a burden does this take off some of your officers in terms of just like, uh, OK, well, I, you know, I, I imagine that the training to be an officer doesn't change at all. But like there's some of this burden where, you know, what, I'm not. I'm not the expert to be able to handle this situation, but you know what? This person next to me is going to be able to. Yeah, so we, pro- we, we provide, you know, mental health education is a priority for our agency. So we provide our officers um, with quite a bit of training in the area of, of, of mental health and crisis response. However, um, having, having this unit does take away or lessen a burden for our, our field services officers because, you know, these calls can take time, and sometimes the best result occurs when you can take time with individuals and, and really just figure out, you know, kind of the core reasons for why they're in crisis. And our officers at time don't always have the ability to dedicate all of that uh, or, or, or a greater amount of time. This unit does, and, and that has definitely, um, you know, assisted in, in finding successful conclusions for, for, for consumers in our community. Now, you want to expand this by at least one officer and then one county mental health pro, um, I believe, at least one. You, you add one CRU to, to this department. Um, is this where the state legislature or the state funding or maybe federal funding could come in and be like, hey, this is a thing. We could do this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, once you start to identify best practices, you know, communities and, and police departments need the resources in order to you know, enact those best practices. And a lot of times it's funding and it's personnel funding in order to do that. So when grants are made available for this type of, of policing, for these types of activities, you know, this is where our, our elected officials, you, you know, have an opportunity to support these types of grants and, and support agencies that, you know, apply for and are awarded these grants so that we can do this work. Um. Do, now we talked earlier about how it's been difficult to hire new police officers to get to get new police officers to apply for the job. Uh, you're creating a whole different kind of police officer here, a little bit different, I guess. They're they're what they respond to might be different. Is it hard to get somebody to want to do this, or do you have to? I don't know. Do you have to incentivize them to do this, or do you have more people rep- applying for something like this versus uh, maybe a typical police job? Yeah, we're, you know, we're finding officers that, that have an interest in doing this kind of work. I mean, again, as I talked about earlier, you know, it's that sense of service. And, and some of our officers just, they, they do have a real interest in working in this, in this capacity. They learn a lot. You know, they learn a lot about how, you know, policing can be different in so many different areas. And, and these officers have, you know, really, they're, they're, 
they're striving to to do this job to the best of their ability and have interest in serving in this manner. And so, yeah, we do have uh, a handful of officers who have expressed interest in wanting to do this kind of work. Are there other are there other avenues to create things like this unit in different? Like I I always make it's not a joke, but I always point out like when we have a parade or something like that, we call the police to to direct traffic, and it seems to me like we could just have. Uh, anybody else that could be trained to direct traffic, why would we use our police to do that? Because they're the police, you know, like they've got better stuff to do. Um, and, and maybe, th- maybe we do, maybe we need a traffic unit or something like that. That isn't the police force. Um, is, is there, but there's, is there more, is there other things that, that we could do to expand or, or, or maybe, maybe not even expand to like, just point, point to one thing and go, yeah, this is a thing that another burden to take off police officers. Yeah, you know, I know that has been discussed quite a bit over time. Um, what, you know, one of those issues is what we're talking about right now. I mean, you know, individuals who are experiencing crisis and, and struggling with mental health. You know, there's a lot of different areas that, you know, what, what becomes difficult is, you know, police departments are the problem solvers in the community. So when there's issues, you know, police are, are the ones called to try to solve those problems. And, the other thing is that, you know, we're available 24-7, 365. Not, not everybody else is. And so as far as taking things away from the police, I mean, we always want to look at, you know, are, are we responding to, you know, the correct calls? Are, is the police department the correct uh, department to be going to, to whatever issue is, is being called about? But at the same time, what we're struggling with is simply having enough staffing to to properly respond to the public safety calls. Yeah. And so that has been something that we've been focusing on is making sure that we have enough staff to properly police the city and keep the city safe, serve the city in the way they need to be served, but also not, you know, in a way that, you know, our police officers are 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 getting burnt out because we don't have enough officers to respond. Definitely. So. All right, that's Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Crudon. I took you to the as very latest as I could go. Thanks a lot, Chief. All right, thank you. Bye. All right, later. All right, that's all the time we're going to have. Thanks a lot to State Senator Brad Paff, candidate for U.S. House, and Lacrosse Police Chief Sean Kudrow.